Hey, ma'am fam, Kent here from Mad About Movies. Have you seen the movie Midnight Express? Oliver Stone won the Academy Award for Best Adapted Screenplay for his script in 1979, and while the movie is a classic, it took some creative liberties, deviating from the real story of what happened to Billy Hayes. We want to introduce you to a new podcast from Wondery called Locked Up Abroad that starts off by telling the real story of Midnight Express. Hosted by Jim Clemente of Real Crime Profile and Best Case, Worst Case, each episode of Locked Up Abroad brings all the drama of your favorite movie without any of the creative liberties. These are the real stories, first-hand accounts of people locked in foreign prisons, or people kidnapped and held hostage by dangerous rebels in war-torn countries. These are the kinds of bad decisions that put people in the wrong place at the wrong time. And the first episode, Midnight Express, tells Billy Hayes' real story of his arrest in a Turkish airport for smuggling hashish in his five years spent in a horrific Turkish prison. The horrors of Hollywood are nothing compared to the real story, so enjoy now. Your first look at Locked Up Abroad. The first time I smoked marijuana, everything about my body said, Ooh, that's good. I like that. To those who hadn't lived through the 60s, I pity you. It was just free love, which was a wonderful concept. And I fully took advantage of it. Patrick was one of my best friends in the 60s. He was a writer and a, a dreamer, and we instantly hit it off. I mean, the two of us saw the world in the same light. He was the guy that we would send out to pick up girls. He was so smooth, women just fell all over him. We'd like put him on a leash, send him off to a crowd of women, and he'd tackle two or three of them and bring them back to us. Great guy to have. I almost finished college when I had just enough and I needed to get out and explore the world so I can experience life, so I can write about it. I needed money, so for about two months, I got a job at the Milwaukee County Hospital. One day while I was walking around, I walked past a room where somebody had a broken leg. Back then they had like rolls of tape and they dip them in water and then wrap it, wrap it, wrap it, wrap it, and then the cast hardens. And I thought, wow, that's, that's easy. I could do that myself. And somewhere or other, that stuck in my mind, which stayed there until my friend who had been traveling came back from Istanbul, who had brought several little plaques of hash with him in his money belt. Most of the grass in the United States was not very good, and this was terrific hash. He told me that in Istanbul, they sell it on the streets, and it's, you know, very cheap. In those days, nobody searched you getting on an airplane. You could put a chicken under your arm and get on the plane. Nobody would know. So that idea was in this part of my brain. And having seen this cast was in the other side of my brain. And they came together, and I thought, you know what? I could do that. Making the money wasn't my goal. I wanted the adventure of doing it, and I wanted to pull it off. So I decided to go to Istanbul and smuggle some hash back. Literally, when I flew in, I was kind of looking at the different taxi drivers, and I saw this kind of semi-young, hippie-looking taxi cab driver kid. I, I said, I need to, to get to Sultanahmet, 
the hippie neighborhood, as it were. And he said, hashish? I said, yeah, that, that, I'd be interested in that. He said, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Because they know Americans, foreigners, are, are that's what they're interested in. I love Istanbul because it's a fascinating city, particularly coming from the United States where, you know, something old is like 50 or 100 years. This is thousands of years. This has been the center of the world, this place. My cab driver took me back to his house. I had tea with his wife. His kids are running around. He rolled a joint of this really good hash. Wow, this is really good stuff. I said, you know, a kilo, two kilos. He said, two kilos, is that what you want? I said, yeah, two kilos. They charged me $150 for each kilo. So I thought, hey, have I pulled this off or what? First night in Istanbul, James Bond has scored. I knew people could get arrested. I knew that sentences were severe in places, but it wasn't going to happen to me. I knew I was way too smart and good-looking to ever get arrested, and I, I really believed that. I didn't have to act at all in the walking because the cast itself creates the very motion you need to do, and it's, it's heavy and it's awkward because you're clumping and clumping and clumping. I didn't have much acting experience, but I knew if I believe it, they'll believe it. Got to the customs, gave them my passport. Luggage was checked. Like everybody, they, they look in your bag, but not much. They asked what happened to my leg. I told them that I was walking through some ruins and a bit of crumble on a step, and I fell, and I actually fractured a bone in my leg. And he said, where is your doctor's certificate? Uh, a little bit of a... A little bit of a heart pounding. Let's stay calm. Let's think this out. I said, I broke it in Izmir. Um, I, I don't have one. I, I can I go back to Izmir to get one? My plane is leaving now. I've missed my flight. I'm... Customs people are like, to some degree, like prison guards. They kind of, they can sniff out fear or, or falsehood. But I didn't look like a smuggler. I was... 22 years old and fresh-faced. I wasn't given one. I'm not smuggling anything, please. So they passed me through. They changed my seat on the plane so I could have some room to stretch that leg out since it couldn't fit under the seat and so on. Everybody was very sympathetic. The part I was nervous about was Kennedy. What's gonna happen when I come back there? I knew that if I got caught in New York with hash, I'd be going to jail. It was fine until I had to make my way out to the door, and as I was walking, I, I realized I'm leaving a trail because my cast was literally breaking apart. All that clumping had loosened the cast up. I was terrified somebody's gonna see this and realize that there's something wrong here, that this, this is not a real cast. 
but nobody said a word. So it just confirmed to me how clever I really was. I sold little pieces of this hash to all my friends. I would tape them underneath on my chest set, and I sold the hash like that. This was by far and away the best product around. Everybody wanted some of this stuff. I made close to $5,000, which was an immense amount of money. But the money went quickly. I decided to do it a second time because um, I was able to do it the first time. October of 69, I went back. Saw my cab driver friend. Hey, man. Hey. Off we went, and we essentially did the same thing a second time. What I didn't want to do was put this in a leg cast this time because I just barely pulled that off last time. I'm real skinny. I could tape four pounds of hash, which is two kilos, four pounds. I could tape it all around here and put on a bulky cable net sweater and still look skinny. It was easy for me. Six months later, the money was gone again. April 1970, my same guy. Hey! All the same routine. Two kilos for about $300. I know I'm going to be able to sell this for thousands of dollars when I get back to the United States. I guess I was a drug smuggler. Sure, I was smuggling drugs. That's what I was. I was a drug smuggler. I mean, I should have had some, I don't know, moral, ethical problems with the consequences of the potential consequences of what this action could mean on my life and even more so on the lives of the people around me, like my family. But I, I was way too self-centered and, and shallow to even think about that. It was just a great way to keep going, making money and keep rolling. Between the time of my third trip and my fourth trip, the PLO hijacked airplanes, flew them into the desert, where they blew up these jets. That was the beginning of this whole new era. That was the beginning of all the airport security that now is just part and parcel of life. In October of 70, when I went back to Istanbul for my fourth trip, I knew that security and airport security certainly is going to be heightened, but my supreme confidence just overrode my intelligence. I had my routine down. I knew the cab driver. This would be a, another easy score. I went out to the airport, watched people going through customs. Nobody was getting body searched. Nobody was getting first. I'm thinking, no problem. Went through customs, they looked at my passport. It's got a lot of stamps in it now. They then had all of the passengers get on a bus. I wasn't quite sure why, because this hadn't happened previous. I myself have been two or three weeks in Istanbul because my son is in the military. There was some woman talking to me about her son and traveling here. I, I, I was just listening and smiling and thinking, you know, I can't wait to get back to the States. I have another son who is a lawyer. And they drove the buses out to where the airplane was. And again, I was thinking it was a little strange, but I didn't quite realize it until I looked out the window of the bus. The airplane had a cordon of 
soldiers in front of the boarding ramp, and they were, I guess, searching people. This can't be happening. This can't, I'm looking at it, but I'm still saying this can't be happening. Not to me. I knew that a month prior, planes had been blown up. And I guess this was the result. Now they're going to search us. I, I didn't know what to do. I, I, I acted like I dropped my passport. I was sort of on the floor thinking, what am I going to do? Well, I would have hidden under the seat and stayed there. Anything wrong? The lady said, what do you do? I said, I, I've lost my passport. Oh, I can see this. And she said, oh, oh there, it's in your pocket. Look. I said, I, I, you know, thanks. I wanted to run. I couldn't get back to the airport with the terminal. I couldn't take all the shit off. I got it all taped to my body. The only way to go was, there's the airplane. If I can just get on that plane. And there was a line of men, and I'm watching this process. When this guy finishes, this man goes and gets on the plane. So all I could do was try and kind of bluff my way through. Um, like, let me just slide by them. Almost be invisible. Just slide by. I got past the first guy. And as I approached the second guy, and I had my shoulder bag, and in it was my Frisbee, and I, I took my Frisbee out of my bag, and I just kind of moved past him as if I'm putting stuff back in the bag. I had my foot in the air. I, I've told the story, and people said, wow, you're being a little dramatic. Not at all. I mean, I literally, I had my foot. I was about to step on the plane. This guy looked at me, and I said, the other guy had searched me. Now this hand got a little tighter on my shoulder. I'm trying to stay calm, but I was freaked. He hit these hard plaques under my arms. He kept going. And then he hit these hard plaques around my waist. And he kept going. Wow. I guess he didn't really feel it. I'm the least religious of people, but at that point, I'm finding, like, like, please, Jesus, get me out of this. I will never do this crap again, please. But then he came back up. And when he came back up, then he hit it. Don't miss the rest of Billy Hayes' amazing story in Midnight Express, the first episode in Wondery's new series, Locked Up Abroad. We'll be bringing you the first three episodes simultaneously. In Sao Paulo Death Trap, three young men living the high life in Hollywood go on an all-expense-paid adventure to live it up in Sao Paulo, Brazil, with disastrous consequences. And Busted in Bali tells the story of a dream vacation to the island paradise of Bali that changes the lives of a family forever. Subscribe to Locked Up Abroad today on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You'll find a link to subscribe on the episode notes. Simply tap or swipe over the cover art. Don't miss a single episode of Locked Up Abroad. Subscribe today.